When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal. But it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, JV, JV Johnson, in fact. Thanks for being here tonight. We continue with our Monster Week programs as we celebrate Halloween. In fact, we've turned to the 31st here in the East Coast, seven minutes into Halloween. It's pretty exciting. Um, it is the one of the best, if not the best, night of the year, and I hope everybody has great plans, whether you're going to go to a party or take the kids trick-or-treating, maybe do some trick-or-treating yourself. I'm not sure what the cutoff is. I don't know what the cutoff is for trick-or-treating. I think there are actually some communities that have made rules for that. I remember uh, teenagers coming to my house at at points, and I'm thinking to myself, kids are really too old for this, but here you go. Here's a fun-size candy bar. What's with the fun-size stuff, anyway? That's not fun. That's tiny. should say tiny size. Anyway, uh, that's a a discussion for a different night. Tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, Monsters in Mexico. Our guest, Robert Biddo, will talk about his new book called Mexican Monsters, and he's going to introduce us to the cryptids and legendary creatures of Mexico, many of whom uh, have never been uh, introduced to the English-speaking world. So we've got some, uh, some pr- pretty interesting conversation ahead of us. We're going to learn some things, I think. We'll take your phone calls in the second hour of the show at 844-687-7669. A special note about tomorrow night's program. We want to share your paranormal experiences as part of our show. So if you have had an encounter with a UFO, say, Bigfoot, other cryptid creature, maybe sleep paralysis story you want to tell us, um, ghost encounter, anything like that, we'd love for you to share it with us. Now, uh, it's really easy to do this. All you need to do is send an email to our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards at gmail.com. Eddie is spelled with a Y. E-D-D-Y. Tell Slick that you're interested in coming on the program and telling us a story, and he'll set it up. We have a bunch already ready to go. And, you know, some people get nervous about this stuff. No reason to be nervous. We just want to hear your story. We have an audience that loves this stuff, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow night. In addition to that, we're going to have uh, Professor Slim King on with us. Now, Slim is an expert in Harry Houdini. And he says that Harry Houdini had a life after his death. He died on Halloween in 1926. And if you know anything about Houdini, you know that he had pledged to come back if he could. He had pledged to send a message to his wife, Bess, if he could. There was a code involved. Sadly, the reports are that it never happened. But people still try. There are uh, groups all over the country that have seances on Halloween, specifically in an effort to reach Harry Houdini. Of course, his real name was Eric Weiss. 
But uh, it'll be a great conversation with Slim King. We'll talk about Harry Houdini and his connection with Halloweens and the mystical. And then, of course, we will feature your paranormal experiences. Again, if you have a story you'd like to share with us, email slick, Eddie Edwards at gmail.com. Eddie is spelled with a Y, E-D-D-Y. So um, what else do we have going on? Next week, looking into what we've got on the schedule, some good stuff there. Maria Goodovich will be with us on Monday night. Maria is a New York Times bestselling author, and she'll introduce us to dogs who detect cancer. I'm excited about this discussion. We've talked several times about animals, particularly dogs, that have uh, sensitivities to things that we are just starting to understand. One of those is their ability to help diagnose medical conditions like cancer. So uh, Maria will talk about dogs who detect cancer. She's got a book called Dr. Dogs. These dogs also alert people to diabetic problems and other health concerns. And then on Tuesday night, Matt Landman will be here. Matt is a filmmaker and an activist. And he's going to be talking about the dangers of 5G. Now, we all know 5G is coming, and it seems to be steamrolling us to a degree. And there's some excitement about the fact that it's going to deliver higher data speeds for your smartphone and other devices. But at what cost? And that's what Matt will be talking about. He'll be talking about the dangers of 5G and EMF radiation, and he'll talk about how we can protect ourselves from those dangers. This is a real controversy. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm excited to hear what Matt has to say because that may uh, tip the scales for me in one way or another. Again, I am excited about uh, the progress of technology. You know, when, when we went from regular cell phone data to 3G, everybody thought it was going to be great, but we quickly outgrew that. Then we went to 4G, and I think we've essentially outgrown that. So uh, this 5G solution is supposed to be the next answer, next solution to our problems. but. Some people say it is far too dangerous. We'll see what happens. Uh, Matt will tell us all about it when we have him on the program Tuesday night. Um, make sure you like our Facebook page. It's Beyond Reality Radio on Facebook. We want you to be part of that community as well. And then we need to have you um, go to YouTube. There's a couple of really cool things you can do on YouTube if you're a fan of the program. One is you can access a whole bunch of back episodes, back interviews, and they're all edited down nicely for quick listening. And also, you can stream the show live and join our chat room. And that is, of course, if you don't have a radio station in your marketplace carrying the program. It's a nice way to be able to see and hear the show during the live stream and chat in our chat room. Got a lot of great people that that join the chat room. And uh, it's a good community. They have a lot of fun, and you can join them. It's uh, Go to YouTube and just search for JV Johnson. You'll find it very, very easily. Subscribe. Click the notification icon so that you get notified when we upload new programs or we begin our live stream, which we do every night when we broadcast. So a lot of great stuff. I hope you really have some good plans and fun plans and some great things planned for your Halloween. I hope if you've got children that you're letting them enjoy the holiday as well. Um, I I actually don't really call it a holiday. I call it more of an observance, but uh, it really is a unique time of year. It's a special, special day, and uh, it's It's just fun, and I intend to spend most of tomorrow or today, however you look at it, the 31st, uh, watching some great old classic horror movies. That's my plan. So whatever you're going to do, make sure you have a good time doing it. Uh, We'll go to break. When we come back, we'll bring in our guest tonight, Robert Bitto. Again, we're talking about his book, Mexican Monsters, right here on Beyond Reality Radio. Don't go away. (laughs) 
Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save. Write down the phone number for later in the show when we take your calls. 844-687-7669. Because this is Monster Week. And you're going to want to join the discussion. Tonight we're talking about something rather unique. We're all familiar with the monsters that permeate our legend and lore and our pop culture here in America. But what about monsters from other countries, specifically our, our neighbor to the south, Mexico? We've got a lot of ties with Central America and Mexico. Do the monsters uh, that haunt our nights and our visions and our nightmares, are that one of the things we share? Or is there differences in those as well? Our guest tonight, Robert Bido has over 25 years of experience in Mexico as a student and an employee for a large multinational corporation, also an owner of an imports business that he founded in 1999. He was a professional researcher from 1990 to 1993. In addition to his MBA and BBA, he holds an MA in Latin American Studies from the University of New Mexico, and he's written a couple of books that we're going to be talking about tonight. Most importantly, the new one called Mexican Monsters, but he also has a book out called Mexico Unexplained. Welcome, Robert, to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's an honor to be on your show. It's an honor to have you, and we're excited about this conversation. As you know, it's Monster Week here on Beyond Reality Radio. We're trying to uh, celebrate Halloween by talking about the things that go bump in the night, these monsters. Sometimes we encounter them on the movie screen or the television screen, and sometimes we encounter them in the woods behind our homes. Some people think they're under our beds at night. Um, it could be all of the above, or maybe it's none of the above, and we just like to scare ourselves. But it's going to be a great conversation. Tell us a little bit about your experience in Mexico. Well, um, you pretty much covered it. For the past uh, 20 years, I've owned an import company, and I go beyond Mexico with that, but I primarily primarily concentrate on Mexico. And what I'm importing is I'm importing handcrafted items. And in order to get some of the really good stuff, I have to go to the small towns, I have to go to the remote areas of Mexico. And across my travels throughout the two decades that I've been doing this, I've stumbled across some pretty strange things. And all of these things I've been filing away in the back of my head until three years ago I started my podcast and YouTube channel called Mexico Unexplained, and I talk about um, all of the various things that I've come across during my business dealings and my traveling in Mexico. And the latest book, Mexican Monsters, you mentioned the book, it just came out two weeks ago. I compile all the stories of the cryptids and legendary creatures that I've come across, and it's kind of like an encyclopedia. It goes from A to X, the Awiset to the Shtabai, and it has everything you can imagine. Mexico is like a world unto itself. It has all of the different counterparts that we see of, of other things, other paranormal and um, 
bizarre things we see throughout the world. Like there are, for example, two versions of a Bigfoot creature. There's a counterpart of the Loch Ness Monster also in Mexico, and so on. There's there's a lot we can talk about tonight for sure. As we uh, continue the conversation, we'll definitely get into some of those details. Tell us a little bit about the cultural differences between uh, the Mexican people and, say, the American people, specifically specifically when it comes to things uh, that would fall under the category of strange or paranormal? Well, you know, Mexico is so culturally rich uh, due to their long, long history, their indigenous uh, people before the Spanish came, thousands of years of history, some of these legends... Some of these creatures, the stories of these creatures, go back more than 2,000 years. So you talk about cultural differences. Most of American culture is European-based, Northwestern Europe, Anglo-centric. Mexican culture is a blend of some old Europe, Spain, Iberian Peninsula, combined with these indigenous civilizations that at the time of the Spanish contact, were very complex and very well established, having writing systems for hundreds of years and um, well, well documented legends and, you know, like I said, cultures that go back way, way back. So there's a lot of depth to the country that a lot of people don't even think about. And these legends, the myths, the creatures that bubble up from that thousands of years of culture. Would you say the Mexican people are more or less superstitious than we are here, say, in the United States? Well, I would say that's kind of a tough one to answer because people can take it different ways. But I would say from an American standpoint, because I'm an American born in the United States, I would say they're more superstitious than Americans. And I think it's because of that long cultural history, like I I was telling you about. They're more predisposed to that because it's more hardwired into them. How does that superstition, regardless of the degree, play into the idea of some of these monsters and phenomena that we're going to be talking about tonight? Well... You know, there's a lot of angles that you could look at that. I, I, I think if somebody is more open, if they're more predisposed to being superstitious, that could mean that they're more open to receiving these things that we're going to talk about or more open to the idea that these things could be possible. So um, I think if you're more superstitious and less, Oh, scientific, materialistic, pragmatic, and I think you're going to live in a more magical world. And so if something happens, then you're just, you're not going to say, well, no, that, that is not possible. You're more inclined to believe that things are possible. So I think the more superstitious you are, probably the more open you are to things like this. Um, before you went to uh, spend your time in Mexico, as you did, did you have an interest in these particular topics? Oh, yes, I did. And um, I even, 
one of the monsters in my book I even thought I experienced when I was 10 years old. But I've always had... I've always had a predisposition to liking this sort of stuff. I mean, when I was a kid, I would go to garage sales with my mom in the morning on Saturday mornings and look for books about UFOs, about Bigfoot, about the Bermuda Triangle. They were 25 cents for paperbacks. Wow. And, um, yeah, I still have, <laughs> still have my collection of those books. Yeah, so I've, I've always liked this sort of thing, yeah. All right, I think, I mean, yeah, a more magical world is, is I think, where I'm leaning here. Well, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the culture of the Mexican people, and it's actually several cultures that kind of got blended uh, through a conquest and other uh, factors. Um, but I found it pretty interesting. I was actually reading today that uh, archaeologists just discovered a secret tunnel near Mexico City that was built by the Aztecs. Um, pretty cool stuff there. That is a civilization, I think, that we're just now beginning to understand and probably can learn a lot from. Well, you know what? They're always finding things. And um, the history books have not been finished written, you know, being written about a lot of these ancient civilizations that are in Mexico, especially the Maya. The Maya, they were... Um, already past their prime when the Spanish arrived, and they their height of their civilization happened a few centuries before the Spanish got there. The, when the Spanish got to the Aztec Empire, they were they encountered a living, breathing civilization. In fact, Cortez marched into the Aztec capital on November eighth, fifteen nineteen. That's next Friday. 500 years ago, yeah. Um, And a lot was learned from that civilization because of that early contact. The Maya are more mysterious, though, because they were, their civilization had already vanished hundreds of years before the Spanish got there. But they're always unearthing things. The main temple to the Aztecs, the Templo Mayor in the middle of their capital city was only discovered in the 1960s. Wow. They were digging tunnels near the Metropolitan Cathedral near the Socolo, the main plaza in Mexico City. So whenever they're extending a subway line or whatever, they're always running into things. It's pretty amazing. But you had a lot of concentrated civilization in one place. So it's inevitable, really, to be digging up this stuff. As we start to explore some of these quote-unquote monsters, let's get an understanding of what the word monster means and the term of, of how we're going to use it here in our conversation. So for that purpose, what are monsters? Well, I'd say they're unusual creatures. Um, I, I call them cryptids and legendary creatures because a cryptid, um, as your listeners and viewers may know, or it's um, those are animals that may exist and they haven't been discovered or described properly yet. But then, legendary creatures are those creatures of that maybe of the imagination, or maybe they used to exist. So, monsters. I used it as a kind of blanket term to denote just legendary creatures and possible animals that we're not sure whether or not they exist. So 
As you started to learn about uh, the Mexican people, the Mexican culture, and you started to recognize, uh, because you had an eye for it, uh, that they had some of the same um, cryptid creatures in their legend and folklore that we have here in the United States. You started to develop a curiosity about that, but not everybody takes a curiosity and writes a book about it. What was the trigger to make you take that step forward? Well, I started first with the podcast and the YouTube channel, and I was would be doing 15-minute segments every week, every Sunday, and I still do. I'm on, like, episode 165 now. And why the monsters? Because of all the things that I've talked about, that's, that's the category that got the most attention from people. And that, mostly from Mexican-Americans and some people in Mexico, my audience is mostly people in the United States, in the English-speaking world, obviously, because the podcast and the YouTube channel are both in English. So people had a really big interest in this, and I gotten contacts from people who said, oh, you know, when I was a little boy and I would visit my grandfather across the border in Chihuahua or whatever, we saw this gigantic flying owl. Or when I was camping with my uncle in Sonora in the mountains, we saw this gigantic cat with striped legs. So I, I started getting feedback from my audience. And then I said, I have to write a book. And I wrote the book like an encyclopedia. So it goes from not A to Z, but A to X. And um, all the monsters, all the creatures are listed and described that way. But I did it mostly because I saw that there was a huge interest in that category of, of things that I talked about. What is our fascination with monsters or things that scare us or maybe even things that um, we are unsure about, but we have a uh, some kind of innate fear of, yet we still want to pursue uh, them and, and more information about them. Is that something that's um, innate in everyone or is it, is it confined to certain cultures? I think it might be innate in everyone. The scary part, I think it's more primordial. I think we all fear things. We're afraid of the dark for a reason. I mean, most cultures are. We're afraid of predators. We don't have predators, really. We're an apex predator as a human, you know, the human species. But there was a time when we were afraid of saber-toothed tigers and other dangers like that. I still think that's part of our DNA. And then there's another part of this that I think why people are fascinated with this stuff, and it's a more mundane answer. I think in the modern world, our lives are so, I hate to say this, and I'm not trying to be a downer or anything, but in the modern world, our lives are so routine, so boring sometimes, and maybe tending towards the depressing, that sometimes we look for some fantastical things that we can research or look into, or, you know, an interesting story or whatever, just because it's something that's not so ordinary and not so everyday. So I think those are the reasons why we 
more interested in this stuff. One of the things that uh, I'm aware of is that many of the classic horror films made here in the United States all also had uh, Spanish versions or Mexican versions specifically. Yes. Um, Dracula <laughs> is a famous one. Um, while they were filming the 1931 Dracula with Bela Lugosi, at night there was a, a Spanish version being filmed on the same sets. Um, so clearly <laughs> these monsters uh, permeate Mexican pop culture as well. Do they permeate that pop culture as much as they do here? I would say so, yeah. And it's funny, you're saying that. It reminded me of uh, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds. Mm -hmm. There's um, a Mexican version called Picos, and that translates to beaks, like (laughs) the beak of a bird. And it's about a bunch of pigeons that attack people. (laughs) And And I saw that when I was a student, and I was watching, you know, Saturday afternoon TV um, when I was a student in Mexico 30 years ago now. Um, And I saw this movie called Picos, and it was, yeah, low-budget film that that was based on the birds. But, yeah, they do have, in Mexico, they had what was called the golden age of Mexican um, cinema, which was the 40s and 50s into the 60s. And some of these monster movies came out of that time period, there's one theme that they that Mexico likes probably the most of all of the different monsters, and I do talk about it a little bit in the book, and it's mummies, because um, in the city of Guanajuato, which is the capital of the state of the same name, there is a museum that has mummies, and um, the the people were unearthed and put on display because there used to be attacks. That you had to pay, that your that your descendants had to pay for you to be buried in the cemetery. So if you could, if your descendants couldn't pay that tax, they unearthed your body. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so what they were finding was they were digging up these people, and their bodies were perfectly pre- preserved. And then they started to have this museum in Guanajuato, downtown, and. Um, there were several movies about the mummies of Guanajuato, and there was even one movie, well, a couple movies about an Aztec mummy, too, but the Aztecs never mummified people. They just took that Egyptian theme and Mexicanized it. But the mummies, yeah, that's the most popular of the genre of horror down there because it's based on what they had going on there. For people who are fans of classic Hollywood horror movies, you probably know that there are a couple of countries that really did contribute to that movement rather significantly. One of them is Italy, Italian horror films. Um, and I'm not even, I'm, 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 I'm considering uh, UK films like Hammer films to be American in, in general, but um, Mexico was also another one. There, there's some very, very good product out of the Mexican film community uh, when it comes to horror films during the period, Robert, that you're talking about. So let's talk about some of the similarities. When you started to research monsters and cryptids and other creatures, you mentioned uh, a couple of uh, Bigfoot-type creatures. What other commonalities did you find between things that are reported and discussed in Mexico uh, that are also reported and discussed here in the United States? Well, they also have, there is a Mothman creature 
there um, have been sightings of black-eyed children. There's the chupacabra. That's kind of like a cross-border phenomenon. There are quite a few things, actually. So, um, yeah, we can run with any of this stuff. Did um, you find that there were more similarities than maybe unique creatures, or is it split evenly? I think it's split evenly, yeah, because there are some creatures that are very unique to Mexico, but then there are some things like, for example, the Quatlacus. Quatlacus is just like a North American Bigfoot that you would see in Oregon or Washington or Alaska. Um, but then there are things that are radically different, um, like, uh, let's say, the Shtabai, that's a witch that can assume the form of a woman. And in a very David Polites missing 411 type of way, she takes people away and then deposits them back again when she's done with them. So, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of weird things that are very endemic to Mexico that are very specific to the country. And then there are scenes that I think cross over to a lot of other different cultures. This is a short segment, so I, I hesitate to get too deep into the discussion about any one particular creature. Um, okay. but, but let's talk about the Bigfoot uh, creature for a second. First of all, we, we know that uh, these types of creatures, if they exist... Um, aren't going to res- respect political boundaries. So I would imagine they're crossing borders pretty easily or at will. Uh, you know, they're elusive enough, so I'm sure they can make that happen as well. Um, are these, the Bigfoot creatures that you researched in Mexico, are they the same creature, maybe with a different name, that we uh, have reported here in the United States? There are two um, shaggy hominids that are in Mexico. One is the Quatlacus that I um, just spoke of, and that's very much like the Bigfoot of the Pacific Northwest. And then there's another creature, and the Quatlacus lives in the central part of Mexico in the higher elevations of the pine forests, where there are alpine conditions. People don't know that in Mexico there are three mountains with glaciers on them, oh, wow. perpetual snow fields. So there are very high elevations. There's that creature. Then there's one that lives in the jungle called the Sisamite, and it's skinnier. It's the tall and skinny type of Bigfoot. So there's the husky one, and then there's the skinnier, shyer one. The Quatlacus, the big one from the mountains, is very angry and very territorial. The Sisamite, the skinnier one that lives in the jungle, and his habitat extends into Central America. He's shyer, more elusive. Have the Mexican people been any more successful than we have at getting some kind of photograph or other evidence of the existence of this particular creature? No. Sad to say. There was, you know, grainy photographs, clumps of fur, the same thing that we have here. Yeah. So in that case... We're on the same page. They're just as they're just as elusive there as they are here. Yes. (laughs) Um, We have uh, one minute before we have to go to our top of the hour break. Uh, We mentioned the website. We mentioned uh, you know the books themselves. But where can people get the books? Um, On Amazon, you can buy the books through Amazon, or you can go to the website mexicounexplained.com 
And there you can buy the books directly from me for the same price as they are on Amazon. You can get them autographed and personalized, and I ship them all over. By the way, those who, of you who are watching the YouTube stream last night, for last night's program, did any of you see the, uh, I don't know what it was. It was an apparition. It was something, It was. Uh, I kept looking to my right, thinking someone was standing there. Did anybody catch that in the camera? By the way, if you don't know where the YouTube channel is, just go to uh, JV Johnson on YouTube. Search it. You'll find it. We stream live there. If you don't have a radio station carrying the program, uh, it's a great way to catch the show. Also, an archive of shows. And has anybody watched the replay? Did you? Uh, some people in chat saying they did. See, I, two times last night, to my right, I thought there was a figure there. And it really, it actually startled me. Um, it was it was so um, obvious. And, you know, of course, when I look full on, it wasn't there. Very, very strange. Anyway, welcome back to the show. We're not talking about apparitions in my studio tonight. What we are talking about is Mexican monsters. Our guest is Robert Bitto. We'll bring him back in in just a moment. Looking ahead, tomorrow night, we need your help. Tomorrow night, in addition to having Professor Slim King on, he's a Harry Houdini expert. We're going to be talking about Harry Houdini's connection to Halloween and the seances that have been taking place Every Halloween since Harry Houdini's death in 1926, Houdini, of course, famously told his wife that if he could find a way to communicate from the other side, he would do it. Gave his wife a code that he would use so that um, there wouldn't be any uh, hoaxing, although there seemed to have been some hoaxing along the way. We'll learn all about that with Slim King tomorrow night. And then we're going to feature your paranormal experiences. This requires you to be willing to tell us a story. Did you encounter a UFO, a Bigfoot creature, a ghost, a, a, a Slender Man, um, uh, something else, anything paranormal or strange? We want to hear the story. And if you are willing to share that with us, email the producer Slick Eddie Edwards. It's slickeddieedwards at gmail.com. And uh, Eddie is spelled E D D Y. So slickeddieedwards at gmail.com. We'd love to feature your story. He'll set it up so that you can do that. So a lot of great stuff coming up to round out our Monster Week program, of course, in honor of Halloween. I hope you've got great Halloween plans uh, for yourself, your family, your kids, whatever it happens to be. If you're going to a party, please be careful and no drinking and driving. Um, So, Robert, welcome back to the show. I want to continue our conversation here about commonalities between Monsters that the Mexican people have reported, have talked about, and uh, we here in the United States have. Some of um, those creatures um, kind of already cross borders. I believe Chupacabra would be one of those. Correct. That's, um, That's another popular creature, and that has only been around since the mid-90s. So um, that's a long story. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, there, there are so many things connected to that creature. The, the origin, we believe, is in Puerto Rico. And whether it's a real creature or something that is from the human imagination, well, that's been debated for about 20 years now. Because um, there have been a lot of other animals that have been mistaken for a chupacabra, and then what officials in Mexico have called a great psychosis or a mass hysteria. So, um, yeah. 
is the chupacabra it's a very interesting creature? Is the chupacabra uh, maybe one of the most dangerous of dangerous of the monsters that you researched? Mm, I don't know. Gosh, that's a good question. I would say no because it is a very shy creature. It attacks livestock. It doesn't go after that's right. people. That's true. Yes. So, yeah. And there's even one story in Mexico where there was it appeared in some woman's house by her washing machine. This uh, Mexican grandma and the grandma got all mad and swore at the creature and everything, and it it bowed its head and scurried out of her house. Wow. So. I don't know if that speaks more to how timid the creature is or how threatening and intimidating a Mexican grandma is. Hmm. Um, when you look through the creatures and the monsters that you feature in the book, Mon- Mexican Monsters, are they all cryptid-type creatures? Do you venture into any maybe more spiritual or mystical-type things, you know, maybe a hat man or one of these other, what would be considered a, more of a spiritual-type uh, creature? Yeah, actually, there are quite a few creatures that are like that. Um, I briefly mentioned one um, earlier called the Shtabai, and that's kind of an apparition of a woman. Then um, also sightings of black-eyed kids. That's happened. There's the Yorona. That is the the ditch witch that snatches children out of arroyos and ravines. And... um, there's also the Tlawil Pucci. Try saying that ten times fast. I can't say Tlawil. it one time. <laughs> <laughs> Tlawil Pucci is a shape-shifting witch that can assume the form of any sort of creature. It can turn itself into a bug and crawl in your keyhole into your ha- and get into your house that way. Um, there's the Tlanchana, and that's kind of like a demon fish type woman that has also been considered to be an apparition, you know, more of a spirit than an actual flesh and body creature. Yeah. So there are, there are different um, entities like that. I would say. Let's jump to our listener line. By the way, the phone lines are open at 844-687-7669. This is Brian in Louisiana. Hey, Brian, welcome to the program. Tonight. Terrific. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Um, yeah, so I'm listening to the, to the guest here, and um, it's a very interesting topic and such. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a general question per se, um, other than you think, like, um, like you were saying about how the creatures may, uh, or however you want to call them, jump the borders, um, like maybe Bigfoot or, mm-hmm. or whatever you eat. You think they're like the same creatures, or maybe they're different? Um, that, yeah, that's a great that's a great question, Brian. What do you think, uh, Robert? Brian is asking if you know if there are Bigfoot type creatures in Mexico and there are Bigfoot type creatures in the United States, particularly the southern part of the United States. Are they the same creatures um, crossing borders? Uh, not not necessarily the same exact creature, but the same species of creature crossing borders, or are they uh, unique to their the, one side of the border or the other? I think at one time they might have been the same creature, but the Quatlacas, the the one that's in the alpine regions of Mexico, I was talking about the mountains with the glaciers and the high pine forests, 
that is very far away from the U.S. border. Between the mountainous regions of central Mexico and the U.S. border, there's a lot of desert. There's hundreds of miles of desert. And these creatures have not been spotted in the desert regions. So what if, if we're to believe that this is an actual creature, I would say that at one point, maybe these, the Quatlacas and the North American Bigfoot were part of the same family, but then maybe the climate changed and they were cut off from each other. I don't think there's any cross-border action happening at all. You don't think they're so, traveling uh, across the border? I mean, I'm, I know there are some remote parts no. of the border. Okay, that's interesting. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for that. That was a great question. Um, again, the number is 844-687-7669 if you want to join this discussion. Um, Robert, how did you research these things? Was it was it interviews with people who may have had sightings, um, or was it more of an academic type of uh, investigation? Well, you know what? It, it took many different forms. Most of the primary source material that I used is written in Spanish. In fact, I'd say 95% of it. So what I'm doing essentially is bringing a lot of the literature out of Mexico into the English-speaking world. And this started really when I was on a plane traveling from Guadalajara back to the United States. Whenever I would go to Mexico, and I had a subscription for a while, there's a magazine down there called Muy Interesante, which means very interesting. And they go into pseudoscience and ancient uh, mysteries and things like that. I was on the plane. We were about to take off. I was getting in my seat with the magazine, and I was flipping through it, and there were there was an article about crop circles, and there were photographs that I had never seen before. And I thought, wow, you know, I wonder if in the Mexican literature, if there's some stuff that I just don't know about. And so then I started to dig deeper, and I've used as source material everything from um, newspapers, you know, modern stories from out of newspapers. I've looked at police reports, and, of course, I've interviewed people. I've talked to people about this stuff. Like I said, on my travels, when I go around searching for product and I go to very remote places, a lot of times I'll ask the locals, you know, is there a ghost? Is there a creature? You know, what, what, what stories are here? And I've heard a lot of stories. And on my website and um, the channel, YouTube channel, and on my podcast, Sometimes I break down legends by and stories by state in Mexico. So, like San Luis Potosi is a state in Mexico. I'll talk about like six different legends from that state. So, I've acquired all this information in a lot of different ways. And um, most of it, like I said, is not in English. And it's when I'm bringing it to the English world, it's for the very first time. Let's jump to our listener line. This is Hank from Mexicali. Hey, Hank, welcome to the program. Hank, you there? Hank, I need you to turn down whatever you're listening to the program on. Let's try it again. Hank, you there? Hmm. I'm not sure what's going on with Hank. We'll have uh, Orion pick that line back up and see if we can get it straightened out, and we'll pick him up on the other side of the break, because we have to go to break here in just a minute. But if uh, you look through all the monsters in the book that you uh, wrote about, you researched, is there one creature 
that fears the Mexican people more than any other? Oh, that's a good one. I would think it's the Nawal. And a Nawal is a sorcerer that shape, who shapeshifts into a creature. Usually a big, snarling, feline, dog-like combination creature. So this um, sorcerer practicer, or practitioner of kind of the darker magic can turn into this big, snarling creature, and that causes the most fear, I think, through, uh, throughout the whole country of Mexico. It's not a regional creature. Um, people believe that that creature is, or that phenomenon can exist anywhere in Mexico. Let's see if we can get Hank here now. Hank, are you with us this time? Uh, yes, sir. There we go. Okay, Hank, what's on your mind? Well, no, I'm down here in Mexicali listening to your great program, and I was wondering, uh, on the Chupacabras, when does, does he uh, feel that it started, you know, coming out in the, as a myth or whatever? You know, when did it start? Because I found it in the 1960, 1959 episode of Bonanza, El Toro Grande, where a Mexican uh, for, uh Farmers mentions the chupacabra being a whippoorwill, milk-sucking bird. Do they mention the name chupacabra in the Bonanza episode? Yeah, yeah chupacabra. I'm, look, I'm looking at it right now on the closed captions. <laughs> wow, interesting. Uh, That's f- why I misspelled it when uh, on your chat site. I put whippoorwill. Yeah, and uh, somebody said, no, I heard of them as whippoorwills, you know, hills or something like that. Interesting. Robert, you, have you heard of this? No, this is really new to me. This is why I really love listener uh, and audience participation, because it gives me a chance to learn. I have never heard of this before. From what I understand, the listener's question, when did the Chupacabra first come about? Um, From what I understood, it was only in the 1990s, and it started in the Caribbean. But there could have been, the word Chupacabra means goat sucker. So there could be something in a regional mythology, maybe in the borderlands or whatever, a goat sucker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe that was a nickname for a demon or something. I don't know. Hank, That's very interesting. Yeah, Hank, were you familiar with this prior to the discussion tonight? Did you know it was there before? Right. uh, uh, Living in Honolulu before I moved here to Mexico, uh, uh, my Puerto Rican friends mentioned it back in, I was there in 85 to 90. And they say it was like a, like a mangy wolf that they had spotted in Puerto Rico. Mm. Yeah, I've Running heard... alongside the road, and then there was a picture popped up later yeah. on. Yeah, I've heard of that description as well. Uh, we, we're out of time because we have to go to break here, but uh, Hank, thank you so much for that phone call and that information. That's uh, Like, l- like yeah. you said, Robert, it's always great to have uh, the listeners uh, further to the discussion and the research along by providing information like that. Very, very helpful. Yeah. This is, uh, I believe it's Manuel from New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi, Manuel. Welcome to the program. Hi, how you doing? Great. What's on your mind? Yeah, so I kind of just um, driving home from work and I ran into your show, and I was uh, I was excited to hear that you're talking about uh, Mexican monsters and all the uh, you know for the past twenty uh, for the last twenty minutes I've been sitting in my car just listening to and definitely uh, as a kid La Llorona was one of the ones that you know your parents kind of tell you you know you better behave or La Llorona is going to come and get you. Oh wow! Uh, kind of like the boogeyman, a lady. Huh? Uh, 
Well, I, I grew up in Puebla, and uh, there was not so much of the of the boogeyman. It was it was a lot more of La Llorona, you know, and, and on on uh, you know a couple of nights like being outside, knowing that I shouldn't be outside, kind okay. of like you know, a couple of times it went through my mind like, what if what if I get caught right by by La Llorona and don't make it home? Um, and then he just uh, you guys just touched on the point of the of the Nahual, which uh, were the part where I come from is a very rural area, and you know that was also another another one of like my grandfather's you know stories he would tell of you know someone in there was so there was always somebody who was to believe to have the powers of you know transforming himself or herself from human into some sort of animal and just appear into the night or you know before getting caught so a wow. couple of my favorite my favorite um stories and you know this is the perfect time of the year to to talk about it so um really really excited and and i appreciate the fact that somebody's talking about this well especially here in New Orleans. yeah thank you for listening and uh making those comments we appreciate that um and thank you for sticking it out in your car so you could listen um but you know i find it interesting those things stay with you today right and, you, and I'm, I'm, you're an adult now and yet those things are still part of what you think of and uh, what you remember from your childhood. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a big part of uh, Mexican culture. And, um, you know, it, it, you were talking about, like, some of them being uh, kind of religious, some of them being more like a, a lay-in. Um, so there's different aspects of the Mexican culture that, you know, um, we don't, I mean, now with the, these days we celebrate Halloween, but I'm always been more of like Dia de los Muertos celebration and all that. Yeah, but yeah, those stories to stay with you, and and as a kid, especially if you grew up in Mexico, as a kid, you you always are told those stories. When I go back home, and you know, I'm with my nephews and nieces, I'm always like, you know, bringing those those stories back and just keeping it as a tradition and as a, you know, now now I understand that might not be true, or might be still sometimes I believe, but you know, it's it's a way of getting the kids to continue the the legend, the tradition, the belief right. on those those things. Right. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We appreciate the phone call. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, so w- w- what you heard there is probably something, Robert, that you're used to hearing uh, as you were talking to people throughout Mexico. Yes, that was a great call. Yeah, um, exactly. You're spot on. There's always someone, like the caller said, there's always someone in the village who can uh change into a, a creature during the night and the the story of the Yorona that's all over the place even into the US Southwest I grew up in New Mexico so I grew up with that story too there's um also there is a boogeyman uh that Mexico has and it came from Spain it's the Cucuy and um they also call it the Coco man and it's kind of it's kind of like an american boogeyman it's the same, it could live under your bed it scares kids you know so that's another that's another legend that's throughout mexico that's told to children so not only are we uh, entering Halloween here on October 31st, but the, the caller actually just mentioned it, too. He used the uh, the Spanish name for it. But Day of the Dead begins today. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that is in Mexico, because it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it's not really celebrated throughout the entire country. It's becoming more and more popular throughout Mexico, um, but it's not—it's— 
It's celebrated in the central part, like where the collar was from, Puebla. That's very central to the area where it's celebrated. Central and southern Mexico. Northern Mexico doesn't have a tradition of celebrating that. But it's based on pre-Hispanic traditions and beliefs. There was a, a death ceremony that was held in the springtime, and they made skulls out of cornmeal and blood, and they made altars to remember the dead and decorated them with flowers and such. Spanish came in, and just just as Christianity does, whenever it enters in a new pagan area, it can't just clobber everything with Christianity. It has to somehow weave its way into the native culture. So they said, okay, there are a million people celebrating this death holiday that happens in spring, so why don't we move it to All Saints and All Souls Day, November 1st and November 2nd? Why don't we kind of incorporate those old practices, get rid of the blood, and substitute those blood skulls for sugar skulls. It's a, um, a type of craft called alfenique, and it's originally from southern Italy, but it's where you craft things out of sugar. So instead of blood and corn, they made skulls out of sugar and decorated them, put them on the altars, and kind of incorporated some Catholic rites into the more indigenous celebrations that were happening. And like I said, they shifted the celebration. Do you think that uh, Mexicans in general, the Mexican culture, is more connected to the spiritual world in in a sense than maybe we are here? Yeah, I would say so, because they have that deep indigenous tradition and from several groups that were very powerful and very populous when the the Spanish arrived. And then they have the Catholic overlay. And if you are Catholic or if you know Catholics, especially older ones, they can be very reverent and very, you know, into the whole religion and believe and believe and believe like you wouldn't believe, you know, modern in the modern day. So Mexico has that indigenous foundation and with all those beliefs, And that's still there. It's still under the surface. And then you have that Catholic overlay. And then you have modern things that are happening now. Um, There there are different spiritual movements that are new in Mexico that are happening, like the the different cults or beliefs, uh, people who believe in things like the Santa Muerte, the most holy death, personified as the Grim Reaper, there's a huge uh, veneration for that and other folk saints that are that fulfill the needs that the Catholic saints don't fill. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Let's, uh, um, we, we have about, I don't know, eight minutes or so left here, and that's enough time for, okay. you, to, for you to pick another uh, monster out of the book and tell us the background, the story. What's one of your favorites? Well, you know, in the whole Mexico Unexplained universe, I think my favorite monster, just because it's really popular and because I've gotten so much reader interaction, reader participation, reader input from, it's the Lechuza. 
And what it is, it's a gigantic owl. And, you know, I don't take sides when I present this stuff. Usually I don't say, yeah, I believe this is real. I don't believe in this. I kind of am a neutral party. I present the facts and everything. But I'm inclined to believe that this gigantic bird is real just because of all of the different, very detailed sightings that I have gotten sent to me or told to me from various people from South Texas and California all the way down into central Mexico. It's mostly a phenomenon found in northern Mexico. It's a gigantic bird with a wingspan of like 15 feet across. It's an owl, um, and it could be six feet tall. And the legend goes that it was that it's a witch. It's a woman, a haggard woman, who turns into the animal. But I'm almost inclined to believe that it is a cryptid, that maybe it's, a, it's an animal that we don't know about that's not described yet or cataloged and lives in the remote mountain and desert regions of northern Mexico and maybe the southwestern U.S., a lot of people, you know, we live in cities and we live in even small towns. We don't realize there's a lot of empty space out there. There's plenty of space where these creatures can hide. And I don't know, I'm inclined to believe that this Lechusa creature could be real. So Interesting. And you make a good point there as well. Um, when you fly cross-country, you know, you think the United States is a fairly densely populated nation. But you fly cross-country, there's a lot of open space um, where a Bigfoot creature, say, could could hide. So when people ask, well, why can't we get uh, a picture or we can't capture one of these things? Well, if they have any intelligence and they know how to be elusive, there's plenty of places they could be elusive. And it's also an explanation for why when people go missing, it's so hard to find them in, in some cases uh, because there is so much unoccupied and um, empty uh, land an area that uh, people could get lost in. So that's that's a great point. Um, as you uh, started to look at all of the monsters that you uh, assembled for the book, um, anything specifically uh, that you were able to experience? Did you ever have any of your own experiences while you were in Mexico? Um, no, not while I was in Mexico. When I was 10 years old, I thought I did see the Llorona when I was living in New Mexico. That's where I was raised. I live in San Diego, California right now, but I grew up in New Mexico. And when I was 10, I thought I saw the Llorona, and I was with classmates of mine. Yeah, so it wasn't just me. I didn't see it by myself. But all the the other creatures, I have not had any sort of personal contact or any experience with them. But I sure have met some people who would swear, 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 swear that what they saw was real, what they experienced, what they heard from their grandpa and all of that. So, yeah, you never know. I mean, I would really like to know, you know, if there's some day of reckoning, I'd like to present my book and say, okay, which ones of these are real and which ones aren't? Because, you know, I'm starting to believe that some of these are real. If someone was uh, interested in maybe either has already planned a trip to Mexico or is curious enough about what we're talking about here to want to go to Mexico and explore a little bit, where would you recommend they go uh, that might be 
somewhat of a tourist destination that might uh, kind of coincide with what we're talking about? Anything specific come to mind? Well, what I would do is I would start in the capital city, in Mexico City. And there's plenty to do in and around Mexico City. There is a, there's the ancient city of Teotihuacan that's outside, just northeast of the city. You can take a bus for like two bucks to get out there. Um, there's a lot of paranormal sites in, in the city itself. In fact, two weeks ago I did a show called um, The Ghosts and Legends of the Mexico City Subway System. Um, I could talk for hours about that. There's stories of, and different sightings of apparitions and weird things that have gone on in the subway system of Mexico City. But I would start in a central location like that, either Mexico City or Guadalajara, and then branch out from there because those those are good jumping-off points. You've got to get down into the central heart of the country, not the resort areas, not the border. You've got to go deep down to the heart and soul of Mexico. What's next for you? We've got uh, Mexican monsters. We've got Mexico unexplained. What's next on the docket for you? Well, the book took a lot out of me. <laughs> it, just, it just came out two weeks ago. So I, I just see. got my author's copies two days ago. This was a lot of work. I'm kind of taking a break from writing, except I'm still doing the podcast every week, every Sunday. And every Monday is the, the YouTube uh, drop for the, the show. So I guess the next thing that I'm going to do is probably another compilation book. Um, I might take one of my shows and expand it into a book. There are a lot of these specific shows that I do that I could write probably 200 pages about. So there's a lot that can be done. It's fertile ground for sure. You're uh, certainly allowed and deserve to take a little bit of a breather, so I didn't mean to rush you into anything. <laughs> I just <laughs> no, like okay. I like to ask. But once again, let people know where they can find the books and uh, follow your work on a regular basis. Yeah, you can go to the Mexico Unexplained website, MexicoUnexplained.com. It'll take you right to the transcripts of the shows. You can then go from there to the YouTube channel, Mexico Unexplained. You can buy the books there, um, autographed by me, personalized, make great gifts. Um, Everything is there. You can contact me through the website, too. So if you have had a sighting, you have a story idea, you've heard of a legend, your grandpa's from Puebla and heard about a creature, I want to know about it. So please contact me. Robert, thanks so much for your time and uh, being part of Monster Week here on Beyond Reality Radio. Thanks, JV. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to you and the callers, too. Another thing that's going to be great for Halloween uh, reading or listening is tomorrow night's program, which winds up Monster Week for us in celebration of Halloween. And, Orion, we're going to have people uh, sharing their stories with us. That's going to be pretty interesting. We are. We've got several good stories already lined up, um, a variety of topics, so it should be good. Yeah, so if if you have a paranormal story that you'd like to share with us, maybe you saw a, a, an apparition of your grandfather at the foot of your bed. Something like that is a pretty common story, um, but they're always fascinating. Email slickeddyedwards at gmail.com. Eddie is spelled E-D-D-Y, slickeddyedwards at gmail.com. Let Eddie know that you'd be interested in sharing the story. He'll get back to you, uh, and we'll feature you on the program tomorrow night. Nothing to be nervous about. It's going to be great fun as people tell their paranormal stories. 
Yeah, if you're going to be awake listening anyway, you might as well call in and participate. And we also have uh, Slim, who is Slim? Professor Slim King. Slim King, that's right. He's a Harry Houdini expert. He's going to be talking about Houdini's connection with Halloween, particularly the fact that A, he died on Halloween, which mm-hmm. is kind of ominous in itself. Mm-hmm. But B, he had told his wife, he, he died um, from an injury, not necessarily from natural causes, um, but he had told his wife that if there was a way for him to communicate from the other side, he would do it, and he would do it on Halloween, and he would do it with a code, a coded message. Uh, and I think she tried for about 10 years and never had the communication, gave up, but people still try today. So. Well, Slim says he had life after death. Well, then we're, we're anxious to hear that story. Uh, that's tomorrow night's program along with your stories. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Thank you for being here tonight, and we'll see you tomorrow. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Entercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.